Ephesians 4, 1 through 10. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over and all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of, of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature, the, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and that tossed by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. All right. Thank you all. So we are finishing up our, ser our series on growing up to look like Christ. We're looking at what it looks like as a body of believers to look more like the body of Christ, to look more like Christ who is the head. And I hope that for anybody in here who is already a part of our body, who is already a member of our body, that this has served as a refresher for you. And then I hope that anybody who might be considering joining this body, that it has given you a, a clear picture of what is expected of, of those who are members of this body. And hopefully it has been an encouragement to you. A local body of believers that is functioning as Christ, who is the head, intends, is essential to reach the world, to reach your communities, and to reach everyone else as well. We have an emphasis called For the City, focusing on four areas of our lives. We, we have challenged each individual to look at their four areas of life, their recreational circles, their work circles, their neighborhoods, and their families. And we are challenging everybody to reach out to one person, totaling four, intentionally to reach out to them to share the love of Christ. And we want to encourage this body, both corporately and individually, to continue in that because it is through reaching all of these different aspects of our lives that the kingdom of God is 
reach. And so as we read there, we are in Ephesians 4 today. And while we read verses 1 through 16, we're really going to focus in on 11 through 16. But I love that first part because this is called the unity chapter. It's called the unity chapter because of things like one body, one faith, one baptism. It kind of reads a little bit like a pregame speech from Cocho at LSU, you know, uh, one faith, one baptism, you know, something like that. And so if you've heard him talk, that was exactly it. And so like the Tigers or any other sports team, right, regardless of what role you are playing, regardless of what part you are playing on the team, you are working towards one purpose. And as we look at the body of Christ, all fulfilling different roles in its parts, We want to make sure that we are unified in that. And so just a little context here on this passage. Paul is writing primarily to people who are already Christians. He's writing primarily to people who are already a part of a local body. And he is challenging them as a part of his legacy for these young Christian church people to be unified in that purpose of reaching the world for the glory of God. And so some, some quick questions about unity here. What unifies us? Well, the answer to that would be Jesus. What are we unified against? According to this passage, it would be the winds and the waves of doctrine and the deceitfulness of man that we come in contact with. And then how do we stay unified? Well, we do that together as Jesus, as the cement and the glue that binds us. And I know that you just heard three points. We read a passage. I did a little Coach O um, anecdote, but that wasn't the whole sermon. We do have a little bit more here. So the first thing I want us to look at here is that unity is not uniformity. Now, in the first week of this series, we were in 1 Corinthians 12, and we looked at living in community and what that looks like as different parts of the body of Christ living together in unity through their spiritual giftings and through the roles that people play within the body. And all of those different parts work together Together, even when they are seemingly in opposition to each other. And this passage begins with the laying out of some roles. Primarily, it lays out leadership roles, but it also looks at roles that everybody else play in the body as well. And so this means that different people serving different roles, coming from different points of origin, serving in different ways, are all unified towards one purpose— Now, to us, that may immediately seem a little bit like a paradox. How can so many different roles and different personalities and different backgrounds, how can all of those things work together for one purpose? And a lot of times when we look at God, when we look at his ways, we jump out and say, oh, that seems a little bit like a paradox when to God, those things exist simultaneously and in harmony with each other. Unity in the body is found in the diversity of its parts. That might seem like a paradox to us to have so many different parts moving in so many different 
directions, but to God, that is not a paradox at all. That is where the strength of the body lies. We're going to see an emphasis later on in this passage on the spiritual growth of the individual believer, but we're also going to see an emphasis on the growth of the body corporately or the larger body of Christ. Which one is it? Which one is more important? They're both important and they're both vital. We also looked in week two, we looked at serving each other. And um, Andrew painted that picture by showing us the example of Jesus. And so we see Jesus serving someone sacrificially. And a lot of times when we serve, our primary motivation, our primary drive, whether we want to admit it or not, is is to help the person that we are serving And a lot of times when we serve, one thing that Andrew pointed out is that we, as the person who is serving, we end up being more affected or more changed than it looks like the person that we were serving. And so there's this huge emphasis placed on the heart of the server being changed as well as the person that you are serving. And on the surface, these things look like paradoxes to us. And it may appear that people living in community, pulling from opposite directions coming from different points of origin, having a lot of different personalities would be opposite to efficiency when you're looking at the cause of Christ. It's like that's not the most efficient way to approach that when in reality, oppositional movement can be the best way to move towards a unified purpose. And for many of us, that is uncomfortable. For many of us, that may even be a little counterintuitive. But When we stick with this analogy of the body, so if we're looking at the body of Christ, let's look at the human body. Let's look look on the surface level here. Oppositional movement is key for so many things. Just think about walking, all right? We have left arm, right leg, left leg, right arm. That gives you marathons, that gives you jogging, that gives you hiking, that gets you from point A to point B. Just think about how clunky walking without oppositional movement is. Yes, could I run a marathon like that? Sure, but it would look really weird and I wouldn't finish in any sort of record time. It is not efficient. It is not the way that we were created to move. We were created to move using oppositional movement. Let's think about something else just as important, opening a jar in our lives, all right? That gives us jams, that gives us jellies, that gives us all kinds of things. And so when you're opening a jar, oppositional movement is key. Just think about opening a jar using the same movement. You would have a spinning jar, which might be cool to some of you, but I want what's inside of the jar. And you need that oppositional movement to accomplish that task. And I didn't ask Ricky to play some songs to illustrate this next point, but think about clapping. We've clapped a lot today, and some of us clapped a little bit better than others, but regardless of how we clap, oppositional movement is key. We got one hand moving this way, one hand moving the other way. Whether you're a one and three clapper, a two and four clapper, or a one, two, I don't know where I am clapper, if you try to clap like this, we'll be chasing ourselves around the stage forever. Oppositional movement is key for so many things in our lives, including making a joyful, sometimes not very rhythmic noise to the Lord. And so it looks counterintuitive to us. And sometimes even in the body, sometimes even among people in the church, there are different giftings, there are different personalities, there are different roles, even among the vocational staff in this church. 
that might even seem a little oppositional to each other. But in reality, when we are unified, we are strongest when our body is diverse. And so sometimes diversity and variety pops up a lot in this city. And sometimes that's an easy pill to swallow. And sometimes that's really the kind of medicine that you don't want to swallow. And, and it really depends on the day of the week and the weather and the um, individual that is um, interacting with that sort of variety. In week three of this series, we, um, or sorry, week six, this was when Bob told his cookie dough um, example. Um, for some of us, the risk of trying cookie dough it outweighs the risk of salmonella. And for other people, it's not worth it. Eat some ice cream, eat a cooked cookie even. But for some of us, it doesn't match up. And that's okay. That, that is okay to, to be on different ends of that spectrum. In a room this size, there's a lot of things that we might not agree on, that we might not come from the same place on. Things like homeschool versus private school versus Catholic school versus public school. Things like toilet paper up or toilet paper down. That can be a very um, heated topic in some households. Snowball or snow cone. Obviously, most of the people in this room probably on team snowball, but if you're not from here, you might call it a snow cone and we'll pray for you. And so then you have this, then you have maybe the saints and the falcons. And I'm not going to say if you're a Falcons fan that you should let us know, but what I will point you to is scripture where it talks a lot more about saints than it does Falcons. And so then we have maybe a little bit of another topic, we have people who prefer pews or chairs. Obviously, there's no choice right here, but you may have a preference in your mind. You may prefer tra uh, traditional versus contemporary music. You may have a different parenting style than another parent in the room. You may freeze out the people in your house because you want to keep the AC chilly, put a blanket on. It's great. Drink some hot chocolate. Yeah, it's June, but it's cool inside. It's great. Other people like to sweat a little bit and save a little money on the temperature there. Another one, maybe Republican versus D D Democrat. That may be a little bit too spicy, so let's move to another spicy topic, Chick-fil-A or Popeye's spicy chicken sandwich. Obviously, it's Popeye's, but Jesus' chicken is a whole other situation. So there's a lot of different areas that we might agree on or disagree on, but the bottom line here is, is that we are a corporate community made up of individual people who come from different places, have different viewpoints, different giftings, and based on 1 Corinthians 12 and reinforced in our text today, all of the individuals in this local body of believers are needed and they are valuable. Not from the numbers of people in the room, but because of the unique nature of what each and every person in this body brings to the table. So why is the diversity of people and gifts necessary in the body of Christ? Because the reason gifts are there as outlined in 1 Corinthians 12 is to build up the body, not to build a building, not to build anything else, but to strengthen the body from within. And there is something that each believer brings to the table that is meant to help another believer look more and more like Christ every day. 
day. And we don't have to have the same opinions on carpet color or Netflix originals or anything like that. But we do need to focus on growing towards Christ instead of how we are different and what divides us. In week six, Bob didn't just talk about cookie dough. He also talked about choosing to rejoice every single day, sometimes multiple times throughout the day. And we can choose to rejoice in the way that God has made our body different from each other. And we can remain united in Christ. And then differences can be celebrated when we are rejoicing in what makes us different instead of focusing on what divides us. So unity, not uniformity. Second thing, unity is a sign of maturity. In week five of this series, Taylor looked at Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. Paul was not pleased with how the church was handling a lot of different issues, especially who was doing the teaching and preaching. And so we see Paul using the word infant in a, in a pretty negative tone as he's referring to a church of physical, physical adults. He's not calling them physical infants. He's calling them spiritual infants there. Sometimes the maturity level of physical adults don't match up spiritually. And the enemy to unity is childish individualism. When we are childishly focused on our own individual needs, that is what creates disunity. I'm sure many of you noticed that our passage today is also the passage that is on our sermon bumper video that plays each week. And the first time I saw it, what really jumped out to me was the clip from verse 14, where it says, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. And many of us in the room may have seen that and said, oh, that's talking about children. I'm an adult. I can write that off. That is for younger folks. Now, let's just talk about that for a quick second. All right. So, anybody who has spent any time around anybody who would consider themselves a millennial, or maybe a young generation X, or maybe an older generation Z, has probably heard a term that we throw around a lot. It is called adulting. And so you may not have known that there was, a, that there was an organization called the American Dialect Society, and that they have an award every year where they hand out the award for the word of the year. And in 2017, the word ad- adulting which is a noun that has turned into a verb, was named the word of the year. Now, this term, if you haven't heard it, is meant to create this kind of medium area, this gray area between childhood, youth, and young adulthood, and then full-fledged adulthood, whatever that means. And so it is both a verb and a noun because we love that. And I'm sure for some of you, it might be a regular part of what you say. And for some of you, it drives you crazy even to hear it. And you're maybe cringing a little bit because you're like, that's not a word. That's a noun, not a verb. What are you doing? And so wherever you are on that spectrum, the concept of making it in our society, which is the reason this word exists, the concept of making it is kind of a moving target, for so many people. For some, it's a strictly 
biological concept. And once you're fully physically grown and you've made it. And for others, it's a combination of biological and economical. Once you have made it to full-fledged biological adulthood, and then once you're financially independent, then you're an adult. I read an opinion piece by a female author who said that her family was not referring to her as a woman because she was un unmarried and did not have any children. And so in the minds, and, and so from her perception, the reason she was still being referred to as a girl in her early 30s was because she had not made it in the minds of her families. And so there's this moving target, both for people who are perceiving it internally, and there's this moving target maybe for those who are projecting that as well. This idea of making it if we asked a lot of people in the world, have you made it? Have you accomplished everything that you want to accomplish? We would all probably say no, because it's always a moving target for so many of us. And spiritually, when we think about making it, many of us associate making it spiritually with being saved. Once we have become a follower of Jesus, once we have accepted Jesus as our Savior, we have made it. Now, remember the context that Paul is writing to here. Paul is writing primarily to Christians, people who are already saved. And so when he says, when he is warning against those winds and those waves of doctrine that can toss people to and fro, he's not talking about people who are not saved. Non-Christians are not spiritual children. Romans or um, Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our sins before Christ. If we are dead prior to Christ, once we are saved, we are then spiritual children who can then mature. So we are constantly maturing if we are in Christ. And so the problem that we do is we tend to run with this, this um, analogy of the body of Christ, which the... I think that um, analogies are great. It's kind of how I live. But the problem with analogies, especially when it comes to things of the Lord, is that they tend to eventually fall short if you chase them for too long. And so don't make the mistake of thinking that because your physical body is mature, that you are spiritually mature by default. Your spiritual body needs intentional, regular disciplines that are spirit-led, and that leads to spiritual growth. When verse 12 says that leaders were given as gifts for the equipping of the church, the word that's translated equip there is used in that context, in that way, only once in the whole New Testament, and it's right here. In other contexts, the kind of root of that word is used as restored, as reconciled, to furnish, to prepare, even to repair broken bones in other contexts. And so all of those words kind of imply fixing something or putting something there that wasn't already there. And so when you think about yourself in your Christian walk, as you grow up to look more like Christ, that is fixing something that is broken. We don't bring much to the table on our own. We are constantly being fixed, repaired, restored in our relationship with 
Christ. That is not a process that ends. That is a constant, ever-continuing process. Don't be discouraged by that. Be encouraged that you are constantly being made to look more and more and more like Christ. Spiritual maturity is not an inborn characteristic for us. It doesn't just happen. It takes intentionality. And so the funny thing is about spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, is that the end and the means are the, are, are the same. Your maturity as a Christian can be measured by a lot of the things that we've looked at in the past seven weeks. So if you're looking at your spiritual maturity, you can ask yourself these questions. Are you living life abundantly in community? Are you exercising your spiritual gifts? Are you serving others, believers and non-believers? Do you have a desire for the word? Has the gospel cut you to your core and are you sharing that with others? Is the gospel good enough for you or have you added maybe some other requirements for maintaining salvation without realizing it? Is Jesus your teacher or are you holding up the teaching of one human versus another to that of Jesus? Are you trying to be the Holy Spirit in the lives of others or are you letting the Holy Spirit work through you humbly and obediently? Are you rejoicing always, even when it is easier to complain? Are you praying and giving your concerns to God instead of complaining or sitting in doubt and worry? Are your thoughts God-led and are you leading others to the heart and mind of God as well? Are you living generously, looking out for the needs of others? For any of you who are hearing that list, and all of a sudden you're like, oh man, <laughs> that's not me. That's okay. That is okay. You are in the right place. You are in a room full of imperfect people who are working on all of those things together in community. But those are the, both the means and the ends to spiritual maturity. If you can answer those questions and say, yes, but I'm working on it. If you are looking at those questions and saying, I'm not, that's okay. That's how you work on it as well. And so we are constantly being refined, constantly wanting to look more and more like Christ. So hear me say this, whether you were born yesterday spiritually or whether you count your spiritual years in decades, there is not a holding area for spiritual infants until their contribution is valuable to the body. And there is no over the hill for those who are a little bit more spiritually mature. As you mature in your faith, as you mature physically, those roles and those ways of expressing your spiritual gifts may evolve and change, but they never become less valuable. Once the minute you come to salvation in Christ, your contribution to the body is essential and valuable until the end. So new believers, do you wanna keep from being tossed to and fro by the waves of this world, come alongside mature believers who have walked through those winds and waves. Mature believers, do you want to continue to be used by God to transform lives for his purposes and his glory? Keep coming alongside the body in the role that God has called you to fill, regardless of how it changes. Remember, unity is not uniformity 
a maturing corporate or a larger body of believers is made up of united believers on all levels. And then unity is always accomplished in the context of love. Now, look again at verses 15 and 16 with me. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, a more literal way to look at the whole speaking the truth in love is more of looking at the word truth as a verb, because we love doing that, people in my age group, right? Truthing in love is more of an accurate way to look at how that word is used there. Think of truth as less of a noun and more of a verb that you live out every single day. It also takes out the temptation to speak the truth instead of living the truth. Now, when we think about speaking the truth in love, a lot of us take that as kind of a license to speak whatever's on our mind and then say, oh no, but it's okay. I love you. It's fine. What I said wasn't hurtful because I love you. And so we, you know, that could be a little bit problematic sometimes, right? And so it's important to establish what the truth is. So in John 18, Jesus actually finds himself in an argument with Pontius Pilate about what truth is. Pilate is asking Jesus if he is a king, and Jesus responds, For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So Pilate asked the question that so many people throughout history have asked, What is truth? Now, Pilate is asking it more in a mocking tone here with his question. But the funny thing about the question is, is that he's literally looking at the embodiment of truth. He is looking at the king of truth. He's looking at Jesus. And so we tend to get it twisted when we speak the truth in love, when we think about truthing in love. We are to love the truth in our love for others but not at the expense of truthing in love. We are to live that out. Saying I love you on its own is not the embodiment of showing love. We are to live that in our lives with other people. When we have Jesus as our model for both truth and love, we have a pretty good model for how to love other people. We don't have to like or agree with, or look like somebody else to love them and be unified with them in purpose. But a lack of love to fellow image bearers of God creates disunity. And a lack of love when we're trying to create unity makes unity very, 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 very hard, almost impossible. In 1 Corinthians 13, that passage closes with, the greatest of these, the greatest of the big three, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. Now, that's an easy thing to say. It's an easy thing to remember. It's an easy thing to hide away. But do you believe that? Is that how you are living your life? If loving someone out of obligation is what you are doing, then we may need to check where we're coming from there. Obligation is never a long-lasting motivation 
for ethical behavior. Nobody is obligated into living morally for a long time, right? Eventually that obligation wears off. But belief in that can drive us to love others well and for a lifetime. Now, one scholar says that there are two really fundamental reasons for why people avoid the truth, avoid living in truth. And one of them is our pride. Facing the truth sometimes is harder than facing the image of ourselves that we would like to believe exists. And then the second reason is laziness. Facing the truth creates work for us. Loving others is hard work. It forces us to make hard decisions, and many times we avoid hard decisions at all costs. Unity costs us something, and yet it is worth it. The writer of Ephesians closes this section clearly. A body that is not building itself up in love is not a body that is building itself up to last. It is a united body that is a stable body, and it is a stable body that is a mature body ready to follow the leading of Jesus. Spiritual bodies, both individual and corporate, can grow into maturity but we don't just want to maintain that. Maintenance is not the goal with spiritual maturity. Deep, deep growth is the goal. Now, as we as a body grow up together, we need to dig deep. We need to strive for unity and we need to lock arms as we continue to try to reach the world for the glory of Christ. And let's strive to unify more and more and see what the Lord does in us and through us. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have created us for relationships. I thank you that uh, you have created us for relationships, relationships with people who are not like us. Thank you that you love us enough to model what unconditional love looks like. Thank you for this particular body, God, that you have given us relationships that can sharpen us, that can encourage us, that can love us well. God, I pray for anybody in this room who um, is struggling. God, struggling to love others, struggling to live out the purpose that you have called them for. God, I pray that you would give them a sense of peace, that you would bring people alongside of them to encourage them in the roles that you have created for them and the purpose that you have for their lives. Pray for anybody who might not have a relationship with you. Pray for anybody who is listening to these giftings and these roles in the kingdom and they're looking at the kingdom of God and saying, I want to be a part of that. God, I pray that you would work on their hearts as well. God, I pray that you would open up their hearts to what you have to say to them. I pray for us as a body, as we continue in this time of trans, trans, transition, God, I pray that you would just work in us and through us. That the giftings that you have given us, we would continue to express. And God, that we would continue to love each other well. And I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.